Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. The FT. It is, I believe, a testament to the broad diversification of our business and the quality of our portfolios that HFBC has delivered such a strongly improved performance in the first half. That was Stephen Green, chairman of HSBC, talking earlier today as he presented the bank's results. We'll be discussing those results along with the rest of the UK bank's financial performance figures which are due out over the next few days in this week's Banking Weekly with me, Patrick Jenkins. Later in the show, we'll be moving on then to discuss the other big issue really dominating the European banking landscape at the moment. That's the funding of Europe's banks. I'm joined in the studio today by Charlene Goff, the FT's retail banking correspondent, and Anusha Sakui, our capital markets correspondent. First up, we'll talk about HSBC, and they've basically come out this morning with pretty decent results, I think beating market expectations. 11.1 billion of pre-tax profits sounds like a lot of money. Is it all as good as it looks, Charlene? Well, they're pretty good and they've definitely got results this week off to quite a strong start. Like you mentioned, it's $11 billion of profit in the first six months. That's more than double the $5 billion that we saw a year ago. So that's obviously looking pretty strong there. I mean, that's really been driven by a very sharp fall in bad debts. That was really the story of a year ago with these billions of pounds of bad debts that banks were racking up on loans and HSBC has seen a near halving in that and that trend is likely to be replicated through the other banks as we go through the week. It was more dramatic than most for HSBC, wasn't it? Because in the US, they had this disastrous um, old household business, which was, I think, generated a huge volume of, of losses in the first half of last year and is actually... Um, that's evaporated, basically. That business is definitely back on its feet. It's still making a small loss, about $80 million, but that's nothing compared to the billions of dollars it made uh, last year. So that's been quite positive for them. They've turned that business round fairly quickly. They've got rid of most of it, haven't they? Yeah, they've sold a lot of it. They've recently sold uh, the the remnants of its car finance business. They had a $4 billion loan book that has gone recently, and they've been winding down the mortgages. They're keeping the credit cards in that business and that's actually doing quite well there but that but it's going to be a much slimmer business and there, there was a few noises from HSBC this morning that they might begin lending again and they would quite like to gently grow that business again. Yeah, talked, Douglas Flint uh, the finance director talked this morning about gently marketing I think the, exactly. the credit card business so yeah. they're kind of obviously still feeling pretty wounded from the US escapade yeah. of a couple of years ago but um getting back in there slowly. Yeah, and the other interesting trend from HSBC this morning was a more robust investment banking performance than we've seen elsewhere. I think their profits were down just over 10% in that area, whereas others, sort of some of the European banks, we've seen falls of sort of 30 or 40%. So it's been quite robust there, and I think that really reflects its exposure to Asia, um, where the market conditions have been a bit better. 
yeah, it's not it's not a mainstream investment bank as it once aspired to be. I think. I mean, no. it, it's now very much focused around the same profile as the rest of the bank. Exactly that, and but that trend is going to be more pronounced uh, at Barclays, which obviously has Barclays Capital, a huge investment banking division, and RBS, where revenues at its global banking and markets division could be down as much as 40%. So that'll be an interesting trend to watch out for. But generally speaking, this sets quite a positive tone for the bank results this week. We're expecting Lloyd's backing profit on Wednesday, RBS to just about creep back into profit, maybe sort of break even later in the week, and and Barclays to again grow profits um, compared with a year ago. Well, let's talk a little bit more about those results, actually. Coming on to Lloyd's, which we have on Wednesday, it's quite an interesting time for them to be reporting what everyone seems to expect to be very robust results, not least because of the chief executive's position. Yeah. Eric Daniels, even as little as six months ago, looked pretty vulnerable to being ousted, having taken the bank into a heavy, heavily loss-making position after the takeover of HBOS, albeit under duress, that deal from the government. But he seems to have bounced back. Lloyd's was always a very strong and very conservative bank. I mean, it was the deal with HBOS that was its undoing and that caused huge losses on bad debts. I think they totaled about £24 billion in 2009, sort of 14 of that in the first half. So the story there, again, is one of bad debts coming down, uh, a much more positive environment in the retail banking sector. And this is a real boost for Eric Daniels, like you say. His position has looked extremely vulnerable since the HBOS deal. The big difference between Lloyd's and RBS is that RBS has had a big clear out of management. It got rid of everybody associated with its past problems and it's been able to wipe the slate clean. Lloyd's, by contrast, has still had Eric Daniels at the top of the bank who co-engineered this this deal and shareholders have been very unhappy with his position and there's been a real drive to, to get him out but he's fought that off now and people close to the bank have been telling us that his position is likely to be secure for at least two years and that's really longer than we were expecting he's likely to see out the integration of HBOS, he wants to restore the bank to paying dividends and really get it really back on its feet and at that point he's likely to go so power back with him. Very interesting turnaround and obviously the dynamics of his relationship with Sir Wynne Bischoff, the new chairman at the bank, are central to that whole development. Only a few months ago, Sir Wynne had kind of emerged that he was starting to put together a succession plan. He'd Mm -hmm. hired headhunters to try and find a successor for Eric. But then it all came out that this process was underway and arguably shot the whole process dead before it even began. I think it's a little embarrassing for Sir Wynne, really. I mean, he started this process behind closed doors. It was leaked. You know, he thought he could keep it sort of undercover and just put out the feelers trying to find a replacement for Eric and it came out that he'd been doing this and shareholders now you know I think he's in quite an awkward position with them really because he was sort of not honest about it and he's sort of lost quite a lot of respect I think uh, with this whole dealings. It'd be interesting to see how he because he will be at the presentation of results on Wednesday alongside Eric Daniels it'll be very interesting to watch their body language and also the the dynamic between them. Yeah, I expect Uh, it will be rather frosty. Yes, we'll see. What about the other bank? We've got Standard Chartered on the same day on Wednesday. Likely to be upbeat. I mean, they've got a very similar global profile to HSBC. Standard Chartered's won't be as good. I mean, they did weather the crisis pretty well. And I think last year announced a profit of about $2 in in the first half. We're not expecting huge growth from that this time. And that's really because their wholesale bank, 
bank is likely to have slowed quite markedly over the period. And they also don't have the big retail bank, which has been improving. They didn't have such huge losses a year ago to sort of bounce back from. But we're expecting a robust profit. Yes. No nasty surprises. No big changing story, as we'll see at Lloyd's. And what about RBS? That's the other, obviously, state-controlled bank, the 70% shareholding that the government has. Are we going to see a dramatic turnaround there, do you think? They're more of a story of sort of gradual, consistent progress. I mean, RBS will be held back to a degree by the investment banking division. Which is far bigger than Lloyd's basically doesn't have that volatile side of its business. Exactly. And revenues there could be down about 40%. So that's going to be a big hit for RBS. But on on the flip side, their retail bank, their high street bank should be doing a lot better. They also will are likely to announce uh, progress with their sales. We're expecting the closure of um, the branch sale to Santander and the sale of its payments business. So together they should net about three billion pounds. Stephen Hester has been very careful to caution, saying, you know, we hope to be back in profit, we might be back in profit, but no, not, not such strong guidance as Lloyd's has been given. Just coming back to HSBC quickly, looking through the, the all the numbers that we've we've been given this morning, it's obviously a very complicated set of numbers, but one of the big things that leaps out really is this issue of the valuation of own debt, which is something that routinely now seems to make a real difference in the uh, performance of a bank from one quarter to another. In HSBC's case, it, there's been a $3.4 billion swing from the first half of last year to the to the first half of this, a negative effect last time, a positive effect this time. And it basically uh, has that net effect of $3.4 billion. This is not particularly helpful, Anusha, is it, to the whole presentation of results? It's kind of just a very artificial effect. Well, I think we've seen that very broadly in, in across markets with investors and, and I mean, at the end of the day, if you if you wrote down the value of your debt last year um, uh, in in the wake of the collapse of, of Lehman Brothers, um, then you know this year, as Mark, you know, if you've enjoyed you've enjoyed the credit rally um, toward the, the, the market saw at the end of last year, and, and this year, well, you can write those figures back up. Why not? And obviously, banks have been active in in sort of buying back some of their bonds in, in some areas and have made profits there as well or made gains. I mean, I guess again, transparency. I think a lot of people would have. I think it would have helped the markets a lot more if we had seen straight through to European banks debt holdings of any kind and see if they had been marked to market, which they, I don't think in a lot of cases they weren't being. Transparency is better than yeah, generally. obscurity. Yes. <laughs> that brings us to our final topic for today, the issue of the funding of Europe's banks, which has obviously been a very up and down story over the past few months. Anusha, you've watched very closely as some of Europe's banks have basically been frozen out of the market. We've seen quite a lot of uh, return of investor appetite in the last uh, couple of weeks, I think it's fair to say. How do you see that situation and how, how will it develop? Well, I think last year was very much about companies, companies, non-financial companies in, in, in terms of the debt markets. They were able to sort of foresee their funding needs a bit better than banks. And so their needs are kind of, you know, have been sorted. And I think the focus very much this year amongst bankers and investors has been on bank funding um, in the bond markets particularly. So with that in mind, this year, a lot of issuance was expected to come from that sector. However, during the first six months of this year, the sovereign crisis, they, you know, put that aside. A lot of you know, companies and banks were not able to fund. But obviously for banks, that was a much bigger issue. And then in turn, 
uh, in the, some of the peripheral European countries, some of those banks were shut out of even sort of short-term funding uh, markets. So, so how bad is that kind of backing up of, of funding requirements then? We, we're halfway um, through the year. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty bad. For example, just picked up some numbers from Bloomberg this morning talking about banks in Europe's most indebted nations. I think they're talking about the periphery of Europe um, uh, needing to uh, fund $122 billion uh, this year. I think that should be fine. I mean, no one's talking about, you know, a funding crisis. People are just talking, you know, bankers, investors are just talking about a weight of of debt that has to get done. And I think the stress tests clearly have helped investor sentiment to some degree, although there's a certain amount of scepticism. I think investors were ready, the market was ready to absorb this issuance. And I was just talking about Banker this morning and he said, well, you know, it would have come earlier. It's just people wanted to wait for the stress test. Now those are behind us. Banks are getting underway. A lot of people are pointing to um, some of the international demand for debt, either from, say, Spain itself, for example, where we saw um, a SAFE become a buyer from China. Um, and also, uh, I think, um, you know, in, in BBVA's issue, there was some uh, recent, very and we want to issue that the international interest there, and I think that helps sentiment. Yeah, I remember the chief executive of BBVA said last week that 90% of demand for their bond, which was a one billion plus issue, had come from abroad. Mm-hmm. So an encouraging sign that international investors Definitely. are getting back into markets that they were very nervous about only a exactly. few months ago. Very good. Thank you, Anusha, for that. That brings to an end this week's issue of Banking Weekly. We've obviously got a busy week ahead of us looking at the results of the rest of the UK banking industry. Uh, Northern Rock, actually, on Tuesday, was these days only a small state-owned bank, but it'll be obviously interesting to see what they uh, produce in terms of numbers because that will set the tone for the potential sale of that business, the potential privatisation of that business, uh, as soon as later this year. Um, And then, obviously, moving on later this week, as we've said, to the likes of Lloyd, Standard Chartered, Barclays and Royal Bank of Scotland. And then we will, beyond that, be taking a short break from Banking Weekly as bankers disappear for their summer holidays. We'll be back with the next Banking Weekly on the 6th of September. In the meantime, all that remains for me to do is to thank Charlene Goff and Anusha Sukui for joining me this morning. And to you, thank you for listening. Banking Weekly was produced by LJ Fulotrani. Until next time, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcast. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.